Welcome to the Life Success Legacy Podcast. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd like to welcome our listeners back to another edition of Life Success Legacies Podcast. We have a real treat for you. Actually, we're going north today up to Canada. A good friend of ours, Richard Canfield's joining us. Hey, Richard, how you doing? I'm I'm doing great. When you say up north, I mean you're not kidding. These people like they're gonna. We're we're way way up north. <laughs> Give our listeners a little geography lesson. How would they find you? Um. Well, through in the snow primarily, but uh, no. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is uh, you know if anyone's familiar with you know the the Rocky Mountain Range, obviously most people are. Um, common areas that are really well known, you know, you know, I wouldn't say immediately close to me, but within a three hour drive or so is uh, Banff and uh, Jasper National Park. In fact, uh, my wife and I got married in Jasper. My brother-in-law, he and his wife had their honeymoon at Banff. Oh, beauty. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful area. In fact, here in Lawrence, we have, uh, we host um, when the Banff uh, Film Festival travels around the world, uh, we host it here in Lawrence, Kansas. We do three nights of outdoor adventure films, and they those three nights sell out in about 20 minutes. We are wow, big fans of the awesome. Banff Film Festival. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Very Lawrence experience for sure. Um, so we kind of know where you are north, and... Uh, you and I, we a bunch of us gather um, once a year in uh, February down in Birmingham, Alabama for the Nelson Nash Institute Think Tank. And that's where we first met and uh, have had some great learning, some uh, great sharing down there. Um, in fact, you hosted the event. Um, you emceed the event one year. How was that experience for you? Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. It was it was certainly a bit out of my I guess out of my comfort zone. There's not a lot of things that are out of my comfort zone, but I, I didn't see a few weddings and things in the past, but uh, never an actual organized structured event. Um, so you know it was it was a great honor to be blessed to be asked to do that. It was actually a tremendous amount of fun. Um, I, I I did hear enough people. I like to lean on third party validation. So I had enough uh, people say that they, they appreciated the work that I did and they said it was a pretty good time. So um, it was a lot of fun. I, I did the entrance music model where, you know, I would get each speaker to kind of give me an idea what, what, what they would like to, you know, kind of like it was a WWE or something. How would you want to enter the stage? <laughs> and uh, so some people didn't know. So I picked something for them and they just kind of had to deal with it. You know, like one guy came out to the Game of Thrones theme mm-hmm. music. But that was mm-hmm. pretty funny. Yeah, uh, you know, I I did some James Brown, right? So right, keeping it keeping it fun, keeping it light. You do that, and for our listeners, a lot of our listeners have um, heard our podcast that we did with Kathy Tajanel, who is a Colby coach and teaches pe- people about the Colby instrument. And Richard, you are a quick start. Um, you're familiar with the Colby. Would you share just briefly with people what a quick start looks like? Oh yeah, great question. Well, um, besides so, being incredibly handsome, right? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, well, that's a that's a given. Um, <laughs> as a quick start, so so when you if you're familiar with the Colby, there's four levels of the index, and so it's on a scale of one to ten. There's no good or bad. I'm a nine of ten on quick starts. So what that means is it's the primary way that I initiate action in my life. And so if there's a project or something to do or anything to do. And someone were to say, hey, when would you like to do that? Or should we do that right now? 
for me now is standing up. It's like now is now let's go. Um, so there's, there's, you know, for some people now is like, Oh, we'll get to it tomorrow morning. I'm like, no, no, now is now. It's like, let's go. <laughs> so, so that's kind of what quick start is. It, it means that, you know, I, I can plow through a tremendous amount of stuff very, very quickly. I may not get it all the way across the finish line or get something fully complete, but I'll probably get it 80%. And often 80% is good enough, <laughs> you know? So that's yeah. kind of a little bit of what quick start is like. And, uh, you know, th- what's really interesting about Colby is that they actually, d- when you look at the other aspects of the index, they actually have um, certain segments. They, they have like a, uh, what do they call it? it's they have like little audios that they have like a specific name for for where you are so my my natural advantage is called the pioneer and mm-hmm. i actually downloaded that audio recently somebody um you know they created a colby facebook group of all things for quick starts it's amazing people joined it instantaneously and it's got more posts than any group i've ever been on in facebook which is obviously very quick start oriented right uh, and i learned i learned about these audios i didn't even know existed so I, I immediately quick started, downloaded it and started listening to one. And uh, it was actually quite fascinating. And it gave me a deeper uh, next level kind of understanding about that, that pioneer advantage. And uh, I found it super interesting. And so that's another little, uh, little tool in my toolbox that I can pull out about how to, how to get the best value out of me. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we have a, a quick start start on our team, uh, Mike Everett, the founder of Life Success and Legacy. So on a day to day basis, we know that, um, you know, he's going to keep us moving and keep us hopping with different ideas that, that come to mind. So thanks for sharing that. Now, you are an infinite banking coach in Canada. And I'm curious, how did you start? Um, did you start your first policy? How did that happen? Um, how did you start in teaching other people about IBC? What was that like for you? Really cool question. And thanks for that. So um, I first got uh, told or requested to buy Nelson's book by a good friend of mine, Jason Lowe, uh, in 2009. At that time, I, I was uh, very busy in my real estate business. I was a realtor at the time. I was fairly fresh into that industry a little over a year in. And I was very, very busy summer. And I'm one of those guys that you start to read something and you kind of fall asleep. I associated reading with sleep. So mm-hmm. it actually took me a while to get through Nelson's book. And, uh, and I remember after I was done, I had many, many sleepless nights. And I was really, really frustrated because I had spent an exorbitant amount of money on my personal and financial education up to that point in my life. And I'd met all these real estate gurus and business tycoons and traveled all over North America to go to these courses. And for, you know, I got a better financial education for $45, which was the Canadian cost when you factored in the bad exchange rate and it getting stuck at customs for me to get the book. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got a better financial education than the, than the 40 some thousand dollars I'd spent on my personal financial education. Not a single one of those people, those gurus had told me the information in Nelson's book. I felt a little bit cheated, a little bit robbed. And, and I, and I, I remember lying awake and being frustrated and, and actually kind of having a bit of a chip on my shoulder for a while. And I couldn't figure out what it was. I finally came to realize why I was upset. It wasn't just that I hadn't known this information. It was that now that I know I, it, I can't walk through life and carry forward without sharing that, this knowledge, this idea, this message with other people, I would be robbing other people of that same thing. And, and I wouldn't be op, you know, operating or acting in integrity 
if I continued down that path in life and not shared this message. That's kind of how I felt. And so the reason I was upset is that I knew in order to do that, I had to go get a license in insurance. Well, that didn't really appeal to me a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can resonate with that thought. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm, so that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was why, you know, I, I, yes, I was upset because I didn't know the information, but I was more upset that in order to, in order to help people understand this, I had to go get this, you know, license or whatever. So it was kind of this catch-22 scenario, but, you know, moving forward uh, a couple months later, I was, I was up and running. And, you know, uh, at that time with the organization I was with, we, we didn't have anything. All we had was Nelson's book. We hadn't met Nelson yet. You know, we, we, had, we didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't even know what we could get done in Canada. We had done some of the research. Okay, well, there's some policies. Well, they've got some of the things they're talking about here. And, yeah, we, so we would grill companies about what their loans process was like and, what you could do, what you couldn't do, et cetera. And it took a while to really vet some of that sort of thing to figure out if we could even properly implement this process in Canada. And then once we finished doing that, we had to figure out, okay, well, now that we know what we can be done, now we've got to figure out how we're going to teach people in Canada how to do it. <laughs> so we, we were really kind of at this ground level, at least in, in Canada, as far as uh, trying to help people understand um, the, the things that were, that are spoken about and talked about and, and able to implement inside of Nelson's, Nelson's work. So it was a, it was a great deal of work and effort. It certainly was a lot of fun, but it also came with a tremendous amount of challenges. Right. Did you find that the concept resonated with Canadians very quickly or was it met with confusion, skepticism, et cetera? <laughs> I would go with the latter for sure. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now, part of that, you know, certainly part of that is going to be, you know, Canadians in general are ultra conservative people for the most part. I mean, we have to be, we, we live inside six months of the year. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, but the, you know, it, the, the other component of it though is the messenger. And so, you know, putting myself in the, in the position of the messenger, cause that's what I was and maybe not knowing the, the proper way or not having as many tools and skills that I needed to properly deliver and relay that message probably created more challenges than I needed to. Mm, right. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. A yeah. topic that you and I both um, are passionate about is family banking. And that's not just um, for our clients, but also for us personally, what you and I are trying to create for our families and future generations. And uh, I always relate to people um, a story of an area outside of Tulsa in the early 1900s, which was um, called Black Wall Street. And uh, it was an African-American community that figured out the more times that they cycled dollars through their own community, the better it was for them. And they had very successful business people, doctors, lawyers, et cetera. Um, and that is a, a natural link for people to think about, well, that's basically buying local, Right keeping those dollars cycling within your local community. And then that relates to family banking and kind of multi-generational, how you can do that. Will you talk a little bit about what gets you so excited about family banking and, and creating IBC for multi-generational benefits? Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, you make some phenomenal points. I mean, in, in, in Black Wall Street, they were turning over the dollars 30 to 100 times in that local community before the money ever left the community. I mean, that's a tremendous feat. I, I live in a small acreage and, and I'm, 
although I'm in near Edmonton, which is a pretty major city, I'm actually on an outside community just outside of that. And, you know, there's about a hundred thousand people here. I'm a member of the local chamber. So many people here are doing that process. There's a lot of prosperity here in this local area because they do that exact thing. They shop locally and it's a big deal in our, in our community. And so I've seen, I can see that visually when I drive around our town because I can see the signs about shop local and, 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 the, and the, that, that environment is there. And so that same model carries through to the family system. You want to shop locally inside of the family economy. You want to, you want to contain as much of the capital that is going to change hands throughout life within the family system as possible. And so, you know, you, you may have the matriarch and the patriarch, you know, the, the grandma and grandpa, the family, maybe they learn about this process. Maybe they're introduced to it first, or maybe they get introduced to it later, but they've probably built up a reservoir of capital already throughout life. And if they can now harness some of that potential by, by building up and creating policies, and it doesn't matter who the people are on, it could be on the grandkids, the great grandkids, their kids, it could be on them. Then you, you've got that system can be established now with this, this generational link. And as long as people understand Nelson's core principles of the grocery store, and that you know you're gonna you, you don't want to steal the peas. You gotta don't take a loan without making some some method or model of repayment of that loan, and and more so in the family system because we need to create a method of accountability. So if if you know a grandma and grandpa they went and they they buy out the mortgages, let's say on their kids kids houses, well their kids also need cars and their wives and their or their husbands need cars. So you have, you know, if they have two kids and then there's two spouses, that's four people. Now that's, you know, they each got a car. Okay, well, there's four cars. Let's say each car's $30,000 a shot. And that, that's just a quite a bit of capital just in cars right there. And if those people are making payments back to the family bank, you know, to the, to the grandma and grandpa, to the grandparents or whatever, you've now created this, this cycle because sooner or later, grandma and grandpa aren't going to be with us anymore. That's, the, that's you know... It's the circle of life, as they said in The Lion King, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so you can create this self-fulfilling model where the money stays within that family pool and it simply cycles over and over again in that pool. It's no different than your explanation of that town in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. And that is ultimately one of the most powerful aspects that can be created by the utilization of Nelson's work. You know, Austrian economics in action. It's a way that we can uh, take control back by, by peacefully seceding from the current financial environment that we're exposed to, which is, which is a reliance on the capital of other people. So by building up that reservoir capital in the family line internally, now, now be, be mindful, of course, you, you don't going to give anything away for free. You have to set rules of engagement and one of the nice things is, is that you, if you are, you know, providing internal family loans, you can still take security on those loans. You can take security on a car, you know, the lien. You can take security on on houses, on mortgages. Those are methods of protection that you put in place that help create the right incentive because good fences make good neighbors. Mm, I love listening to you talk about that. Um, if you, you know, I'm always reminded that at least in America. You know, our our average amount of interest that uh, a family might lose over their lifetime, just in interest, would be around six hundred thousand dollars. 
or as Nelson puts, the average American might uh, you know lose 34 and a half percent of after-tax dollars that goes to interest. Well, if you start thinking about that, that is money that is being gathered by banks and other financial institutions. And if we simply turn that money inside the family and the older generation becomes the bank and they finance those things and that that interest just then cycles through the family and then is reused. And then, oh, by the way, these IBC systems happen to have a death benefit attached to it. And so the whole thing becomes sustainable. It's really phenomenal what is possible for families. I know you and I both with, you know, families, we're at different phases of life with our kids, but um, we both get super, super excited about what we're able to create for our families. One, and to, to, to piggyback on a couple things you said there. So first off, I mean, sustainability is a great world because that's thrown around a lot these days for different reasons. So really what you're talking about is helping people go green with their money um, versus maybe green in other areas. You're creating a sustainability on the, on the family economy, on the personal economy, which is, which is fantastic. You know, to piggyback a little bit further off of you know, what we'll be talking about, the, about the intergenerational line, that family line, you know, we talk about passive income a lot. And Nelson references passive income a great deal in his book versus retirement income because he wants us to think differently. And, you know, in that, so I'll, I'll paint a picture even just for myself. So I do have kids. I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. They're amazing. And they each have policies. They'll get more. We've just got a couple for them right now. But when, you know, so when I decide to hand over the keys of control to the, the banking system for my kids, like I'll pick my son as an example. Well, my son isn't going to get access to the family system until he writes an exam on Nelson's book. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't written the exam yet. He's three. I've got some time, but I have some of it mauled over in my brain about what that's going to be. Now, he may be able to access from the capital pool, but he, but he won't be able to necessarily do a variety of other things until he's demonstrated that he's going to be a good steward of the family system. Okay. That's something that's important to me, but how we want to build things in and how we're going to start changing the conversations that we have, you know, as, as our children are young, because we want them to grow up. So anytime we go on a family vacation, we go on a road trip, anytime we look at buying something for them or buying something new, something we know that they're going to enjoy, we're always going to insert a couple of extra things in the vocabulary, such as, Hey, Nathan, isn't this exciting? Wow. Check this out aren't you so happy we were able to get this or acquire this because of the family banking system? We have to make sure to pay the family banking system back so that mm-hmm. we can get, we can replace that thing at some, you know, so we ch- we're changing the conversation already at three years old. And I believe that's going to create a compound effect for us, which I mean, we won't know until the future, but I, I don't see any reason how that couldn't happen. Um, but what's really interesting about that, if we were to take that out and shoot forward, let's say, you know, let's say we shoot forward 60 years down the road. <clears throat> you know, my son's 63. I'm, well, let me back that up. 60 might be a little far. Let's go a little bit. Let's go 50. <laughs> I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be getting, I'll be getting up there. <laughs> I just had to do some math there for a second in my head. And uh, you know, so I, I'm in my seasoned years. Right. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to have passive income from a variety of sources. But one of those sources will be, these payments that I'm going to be receiving from my children and their extended families, okay, for cars, for houses, for other assets, maybe for some business businesses they may start or, or what have you. And I can make choices and those choices can be, okay, well, hey, hey, there's, 
there's 10 cars in this family system and I'm getting payments of, you know, $500 on 10 cars. Well, that, that adds up to a reasonable amount of passive income. Now I can take that money and I can put it back into policies, repay policy loans, or I can take that money and go buy groceries, or I can do a combination of all of the above. And no one can tell me otherwise. That is a very, very powerful position to be in. And, and so if I choose to maybe not uh, put the money back into a policy loan, but I'm doing that because I know that I've already built a sustainable system, sooner or later, I'm not going to be here anymore. Now, I've already got quite an amount of insurance, so that's going to grow every day that I age further at a time. That's going to automatically eliminate those loans through that family system and, and refill that bucket, those, that pool, so that it can all be worked with. So it's not that I'm stealing the peas. I'm simply changing when I want to put the peas back on the shelf. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'm reminded of, uh, you know, the ways that we teach our kids uh, about IBC and how we sprinkle in the conversations and those timely lessons. Um, I was inspired by a, a book, uh, what, would, what Would the Rockefellers Do? And it gave me an idea of, um, so we we hold our boot camps uh, across the country, but um, specifically here in Lawrence, when we do our local boot camps, and um, <laughs> my wife and I um, told our daughter Lily at the time, we said, if you would like to make some money, you can attend um, both days of our boot camp and then write a paper on what you learned from the boot camp, and we're willing to pay you. $500 to do that. Now, oh, cool. when I tell people that, they go, 500 bucks? That's a lot of money to pay your kid to come listen to you talk about this stuff. Well, there's incredible value in what we teach, and we are creating something that they need to understand going forward. Plus, the fact that we pay them $500 for that and we pay them for some other things that we value, you know, if they learn different things that we are interested in, um, those, those types of things. But what we don't do is when they want to go to noodles and company with their friends on the weekend and they need money, we don't give it to them because they have opportunity to earn money and we're getting a little return on our money in that knowledge that's being passed on to them. So it's funny, all the creative ways that we can uh, uh, create learning opportunities for our kids around IBC uh, and other other areas of, of learning as well. Richard, you um, you mentioned off air um, that there's great power in these IBC uh, policies and that our economic world changes all the time. And there's nothing that we can count on. So we have to prepare for those times. And you're talking a little bit about your economics uh, up there. Um, why have these policies been uh, having these policies in place been so important to some of the people up there that you help and educate? Yeah, thanks for asking that, because, you know, <clears throat> everything is always in flux, specifically in the economy. And it doesn't matter where you're located you're going to be in a place where things are really good, but sooner or later it will shift. The market will change and things won't be so good. And that, that cycle will happen anywhere. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure you've experienced that in your time frame, uh, even in your past life as a, as a, as a teacher, as a principal and, and into today, 
And so here in Alberta, you know, we're a very, you know, we, we're referred to as lots of things, oil, Berta, um, hmm. you know, the, the Texas of Canada, we're, we're given lots of different names. And, uh, and so we have a heavily resource-based oil-based economy for the most part. Yes, there's many other things going on here as well, but it has been a primary driver. And in fact, it's been a leading economic engine for much of the country of Canada over the last, you know, the last 15 years. And so, um, when, when the oil prices shift and change because of global economic factors, that has an impact here at where I live. And, and when we have political adjustments and change for, you know, people that maybe for whatever reason, they're, they're not bullish on oil or, or they're like any number of these things can change. And so it always, uh, impacts the individual that is a, a frontline worker in that industry, whether they're in the engineering side of things or they're in the, you know, maybe the construction side of things. Um, industrial construction, but then it's a, it's a trickle down ripple effect because now you have people who no longer have jobs, which means they're not out spending money. It means they're not going out to restaurants as often. They're not going out and buying, you know, new clothes and, and there's, there's less of their money that's going into the economy because they're just trying to make ends meet and make sure they can pay their bills. So this kind of thing does happen. And so, especially in this type of an economy that we have, when things aren't so good and, and they haven't been dramatically amazing for many people in the oil sector, here in Alberta for the last five or so years, you know, that, that puts pressure on families. And so these policies for clients of mine that have been tied into that oil world, they've been, you know, kind of the, the last bastion of hope for them in many ways. And, and some of those ways are, well, number one, when we build them the way that we do, we create a tremendous amount of flexibility. So one of the first things that happens if people, you know, lose their job or they're unemployed for a while and they, they need to start making decisions about how they can trim down some of their expense load. Well, one of the last places they, they generally look is the policy because they know what it's doing for them, which is, which is advantageous. But if they have to reduce their premium amounts because they've got flexibility built in up front, that's a massive benefit. And it, it, makes, it takes a lot of pressure off. It makes things a lot less stressful. The other thing is this. Because they've built up a nest egg of savings and accessible capital, inside of policies, it also gives them lots of opportunity to weather the storm much better than a lot of their peers. Because when things are really good, what are most people doing? Well, they're, they're out there keeping up with the Joneses. And so they're racking up more bills and they're racking up more fixed payments by borrowing money because they were, they were employed and it's easy to do that. Well, take the employment away. Your ability to borrow money goes down a lot unless you have well-structured whole life insurance, in which case it's very easy because you can access from the family banking system. And if you've been good and diligent over that time frame, while things are good, recapturing, bringing some of that outside debt into the inside realm, you remove a lot of those fixed payments. And so even if you have a large amount of outstanding policy loans, because you've been doing that over a period of time, well, now you're at least in a position where you can control your expense load because the insurance company is not going to park a white van outside of your house Two hefty set fellas, you know, named Guido and <laughs> Bob are going to show. Yeah, they're not. They're not showing up with a baseball bat, knocking on your door and saying, "Hey, yo, Chris Bay, what was them loan repayments?" You know, like that doesn't happen. So, so there's 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 power in that, and that is a peace of mind power that you know a lot of people don't even know is there until it's their turn. And so many people in Alberta, because of that that oil sector. Uh, resource-based economy have been in, you know, some level of flux and change because of that, these, these types of policies, having them, you know, it's one of those scenarios where, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like the death benefit. 
I would rather be looking at it than looking for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Great examples. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I've got another one that I want to uh, run by you. I've, I've asked this question to several of our guests that we've had on the show, and it's interesting the different perspectives that, that they have, um, and I'd love to get your take on it. We talk about franchising our system, almost as if these policies are little businesses. And if we get one business that's up and running and it's producing for us, the idea is that we would franchise and add additional policies. So my question to you is, when and why do you add new policies or recommend new policies with your clients? Hmm, very good question. Um, when and why? Well, why? Because policies are awesome. And if the first one was good, the second one will obviously be good. <laughs> so it seems like yes. a no-brainer that way. Yeah, right. Um, but when, I think when may be a little bit more of a, uh, it, it may be more of a fluctuating scenario based on, you know, the individual circumstance. So I, 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 I operate my practice where I don't do things necessarily based on a lot of recommendation. I do things based on asking questions and then people figure out what they're going to do based on the questions. You know, I try, I do my best to try not to do leading questions because I don't think that's appropriate. Right. Uh, but, but, but Nelson, you know, would say, if you know what's going on, you'll know what to do. And so people will just call and say, I'm ready to get another one. And they'll, they'll explain to me why they want it and how they're going to pay for it. Like how they're, where the money's coming from and, or they'll get, I'll get interesting ideas and they'll say, well, I'd like to do this. And I say, okay, well, that's interesting. Show me how you're going to get that done. And then they'll, I'll let them explain it to me what they had in mind. And then I'll fill in the gaps on maybe something they didn't have quite accurate or something we, that, that we need to tweak to optimize it. Um, but that way they're empowered and they're in the driver's seat of the decision-making process at all times. That's something that's critically important to me and how I operate because my, my objective is to get out of the way and, and to give people the control of the steering wheel of their own financial life. Because, you know, in every other circumstance in our financial life, someone else is in the driver's seat. And we need to have that power back in our realm. But, you know, the question that you asked me is a question that I asked something, you know, very similar to Nelson many times. <clears throat> and I would say, hey, okay, Nelson, when did you know it was time to get another policy? Because, you know, as you know, he had 49 at one point. He would say, well, Richard, as soon as I knew it was possible to do so. You know, as soon as he can, as soon as he could env envision getting another one, he he would figure out a way to get another one. And what that ties back into is is Nelson, you know, preaching that it's all about how you think. And if you're challenging your mind to think about how you can, then then the the when and and the whatever will fall into place, right? You know, our our brains are extremely powerful tools, and so when we set our intention on something. You know, hey, geez, I, you know, I really, I really want to go and buy an acreage outside of the city. You know, that might be something somebody wants to do. Well, boy, if you're thinking about it all the time, the more and more you think about it, the more and more you come up with new ideas on how you're going to get it done. And boy, it probably happens a lot quicker than if you never thought about it at all. And so the circumstance of getting a new policy is ultimately no different than that. And I think that's one of the key lessons that Nelson was always trying to teach us, and that that's all about how you think. Not only is it all about how you think, it's about that which you think upon, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and even for myself, like 
my very first policy, uh, you know, that I got was, was, uh, I actually used a, a, a bank line of credit to, to kick off my policy because I wanted to pay the annual premium. Cause it was, it was, you know, I, I got a better deal. You know, at the time it was like a seven and a half percent savings value, which made sense to me. Um, and, and I wasn't going to, you know, teach people how to do this if I didn't, you know, get a policy myself. Cause that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Wouldn't seem very logical. Um, and then, you know, you know, not long after, I think it was maybe a year and a half or two years later, but about a year and a half later, I got another policy in it and it was a small policy with a really large term rider on it for conversion reason. The main reason I got it was because I just wanted to establish that insurability in place because I knew I was going to need more policies down the line. I just knew that. And I, and look, this is all I can do today that I can, I can rationally envision myself doing today. And would you believe it? that four months later I had gone to a program, a course, and I had learned some new information. I had a new hard drive dropped into my brain that gave me some new ideas and, and thinking about how I could do more. And I immediately realized I wasn't thinking about it the right way. And I found an extra $6,000 a year. And I immediately came back home and I converted a chunk of that policy, like literally within four months. That's great. And, and <laughs> That's then, fantastic. And, so, and, and, and here's, the, here's the other funny thing about that. This is really interesting because there's, it's the things that you don't know that you find out later that are, that are entertaining when you can, when you can think upon them and realize what might I done, what, what might I have done differently? That's not a question that I, I encourage people to ask all the time because it takes you kind of into this past based behavior, but mm-hmm. it's helpful if you're thinking about, how you might approach things anew, how you might look at things in the future based on what you did in the past. And so, uh, you know, in retrospect, that, that, that little policy I got that I converted a chunk of, and there's, there's still some term there I can work with on that one, but that little one that I had, I didn't know enough and I didn't, no one had really shown me. I set that policy up with like where the, the base premium or, or the base whole life amount, I think was, it was like 40, 48, thousand five hundred dollars it was just below like the very first uh bulk discount pricing point of 50 grand mm-hmm. and it had this huge term rider on it had i just increased it by like fifteen hundred dollars i actually would have had a better price on that policy like i would have had more it would have been a better bang for buck deal that i didn't even know because no one told me mm-hmm. you know so it's like these little things that you find out along the way um, and it doesn't mean that policy was bad. It works great. It's fine. I've, I've got loaned out on it right now today. And it's just that um, it, it could have also been a little tweaked and been optimized a little bit further. And so these are things you kind of learn over time. And that's part of the experience. So it doesn't take anything away from the policy I set up for myself. But it does mean that because I went through that experience, I now know that's something I can make sure that uh, a client of mine or, or maybe a new advisor that's learning about this process and wants to help people do this, I can point that out to them so that they can, they can help someone make a different decision. Yeah, absolutely. You, you brought up a, a term that I think we'll want to probably follow up in a future uh, podcast. And that is some of the, the inner workings of the policies, but specifically you mentioned having the convertibility of that term because wait, I thought this was all about whole life and creating a banking system. Why in the world would you have a term right, a term policy? Um, so that that's maybe another topic for another time um, to explain to people. What I'd like to end with is um, I'd love to hear from you 
when you first met Nelson Nash and what Nelson has meant to you uh, in your life. Okay. <laughs> we get we get real here, Richard Canfield. We get real. Yeah, yeah, you sure do. Well, um, let's do the easy part first, which is when I first met Nelson. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I I read Nelson's book in uh, summer, early summer of two thousand and nine, and then uh, didn't even really know about the think tank uh, of, of circumstance until. Um, basically until early 2012. And so myself and several colleagues here from Canada, we all flew down, you know, two flights and, you know, basically, you know, whatever, all that extra time to get down there. And we, and we, we actually went early to attend Nelson's two day seminar because he was still doing them at that point. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I met Nelson was actually attending his two day seminar, which was literally the two days before the think tank conference. And, uh, boy, you know, it was, it was interesting in so many levels because obviously anyone that had the pleasure to meet Nelson or, or maybe even listen to him on an interview or, or a YouTube clip or something, they, and they read his book, they can understand that Nelson spoke in person very much as it's like when you, when you read the book, it's like he's speaking in your head. It is. Yep. I agree. <laughs> It, it's uncanny and his uh, voice, his writing voice yeah. is so uh, clear. It, it's exactly yeah. how he would talk to you. Yeah. It's, it's literally like, so if I'm looking at the book now, you know, b- blessings to, to the book because it's like Nelson's always with me just in the, in the words of his book, because his words speak to me through in his own voice in my head. That's what I hear when I read through it. Um, and so that was my first opportunity to meet Nelson. And it was, and it was glorious because I just learned so much. I, I realized that I knew in that moment that not only had we not been reading the book n- enough, no, nowhere near enough, because we didn't, we were kind of out on an island over here, a really frozen island, that um, we didn't know we needed to be doing that. Like we just didn't have that same kind of guidance in, in the relationships with folks like, 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 like your team to help keep us, you know, in between the ditches, I guess, in this, in this land. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was so important to know that there was other like-minded people, people we could reach out to, build relationships with, and that Nelson was available to to help us and to provide guidance. And prior to that, I hadn't really even thought about reaching out to him. I wasn't, I don't know, my brain just wasn't thinking in those terms. And so, um, you know, that was, and meeting him then and spending the next couple of days at the think tank, one of the things I remember that I realized right away is how much I appreciated Nelson's sense of humor hmm. because it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't through his, his two day seminar, although those that's great. And, and he, he has, you know, he's he had the, the, the best things he talks about, especially when he talks about, uh, you know, Terry's Terry's tractor trailer getting zapped by the, by the aliens or whatever. That was always one of the favorites. <laughs> um, but, but the, uh, you know, it was actually during the think tank when Nelson, you know, he's sitting in on these sessions. Sure, he would, he would talk a little bit here and there, but he's sitting in the audience. He would always pick some spot kind of over in the corner, and you would hear him chuckling about these little things in the background. And I was, I always managed to be sitting somewhere within a couple of rows of Nelson, and I would hear him laughing, and him and I would be laughing at the same jokes all the time. <laughs> and so I just really appreciated Nelson's sense of humor. And I just felt like that was a great kind of bonding scenario with him. So 
Um, you know, and then going down to think tank, you know, repeatedly and then having Nelson coming up to, to Edmonton to speak several times and getting a chance to kind of know the man was, uh, you know, that, that would be one of life's greatest joys. Yeah. He, he's so sincere, so authentic. Um, he knows exactly what he believes and what he thinks. And the guy has so much wisdom uh, knowledge. Um, he is, uh, for our listeners, um, for those who don't know, uh, Nelson passed away just recently. And uh, in fact, his, uh, celebration of life was this past weekend and, um, he will be dearly, dearly missed, but he has left such a legacy for all of us. Um, I, when people say, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, that you guys lost Nelson, I'm just thankful that <laughs> that I was even introduced to Nelson Nash and had the opportunity to know him and learn from him. Uh, what a gift, absolute gift. Hmm. Well, and you know, during, during that uh, celebration of life, I mean, I, I had uh, several people over at, at my house uh, for a barbecue so that we could, you know, do our own celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a flag that I had made of the, the cover of becoming your own banker <laughs> and it hangs to my flagpole right outside of the front of my house on my front deck. And so we had the flag at half mast. Yeah. And um, we sat around and gathered and we shared a few stories. And, um, you know, it was it was a nice way to just celebrate Nelson, even though we couldn't necessarily be down there. But, mm-hmm. to, you know, to feel as though we were down there with everyone else. And, and you know, one of the, you know, a couple of key takeaways that I've received from Nelson among so many, I mean, there's, there's you, we could go on for forever and ever about that, but Nelson talked a great deal about his, his relationship with his primary mentor, which was Leonard Reed, Leonard E. Reed, who is the founder of the foundation for economic education fee, fee.org. If anybody is curious and, and, you know, uh, Nelson introduced me to, to Leonard and Leonard's works. And one of my favorites, I actually have many, many copies here because I bought a whole box of them, is a reprint of one of his famous uh, essays called I Pencil. Mm, and, I love that, uh, yes. My Family Tree is told to, uh, told to Leonard E. Reed, and it's basically the story of the creation of a pencil told from the eyes of the pencil. And all the factors in the global economy and the inner workings of of, of things that take place for the creation of one single independent pencil. It's fascinating. It's an exceptional read. And so that gave me a glimpse into Nelson's experience in knowing Leonard and, and having a chance to mentor it and, and spend time with him. And I really understand how Nelson was just giving back the same way that Leonard had done for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he really invested in people uh, in relationships a great deal and one of the things that Nelson would say, he was very fond of doing this certainly in the last couple of years, was that, you know, all I'm trying to do is, is find superior seeds and, and plant them in high quality, you know, in quality soil and then tend to them. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, you know, you just got to be out there looking for superior seeds. And he's talking about the people that you want to surround yourself with the people that you want to help get operational, get up and running, get started with infinite banking, the people that can see it, that have read the book that are willing to commit to the process, the people that are willing to think outside the box, think differently, be open, be coachable, 
be willing and receptive to learn and, and be ready to do the work that's involved because they want to have a better life and a better future. Well said, my friend. Richard Canfield, you are a gem. I, uh, I experience you as intelligent, um, articulate, passionate, and uh, very proud to, to call you a friend. Um, you are definitely not just a pretty face. <laughs> but, but also that, right? But also that. That's right. <laughs> just also that. Hey, um, for our listeners, especially for listeners who may be listening up in Canada, who we actually can't help up there, but you can, would you um, share how people can find you? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple ways about going down. I'm reasonably easy to find. Um, I do have a, a, a great place that people can go to, especially if they want to learn how, how IBC is implemented for Canadians. I actually have a case study, an example. It's available for people. They could access that on thebankingblueprint.ca, thebankingblueprint.ca. Uh, you'll see a picture of me holding, the, holding you know, up the case for IBC book. And um, you know, I, I walk through an example of uh, you know, using truth concepts of, of, a, of a Canadian policy going to work, buying a bunch of cars and stuff. And uh, you know, I also go through like a frequently asked questions section. It's about 50 minutes long, but, you know, I cover a lot of the common things that I've heard, I've heard from people over the years, which it's always nice when you kind of just get down to the brass tacks, the nitty gritty, you know, and, and get your questions answered right away. Because, I mean, if anyone, you know, is looking at that and deciding, hey, I just want to know if this is the right fit for me. Well, when you get some of that basic stuff out of the way, it's, it's helpful in determining if this is something you want to explore more or spend time on. You know, I'm always of the mindset that if you can, if you can take if you can rule something out right away because you just know it's not a fit, then the sooner you can do that, the better. Likewise, if you know you want to invest more time into something, you want to be able to make that determination pretty quickly. So that's kind of how I put it together, you know, thinking about people who may have a similar mindset like that. Um, so that's the, the bankingblueprint.ca. And if they want to learn a little bit more information about me, um, I can, they can certainly uh, connect with me on Facebook. I have a, a business page there. That's the Richard Canfield uh, at Facebook. I've got, uh, and also my web, my primary website is richardcanfield.ca. That's kick the can in the field, the not too hard it hurts. Uh, <laughs> .ca. And uh, yeah, together I'm I'm always excited to connect with people that that uh, know know what you guys are up to, and they understand uh, how well you guys go and present the information, and, and really go out of the way to help people really start to take that control back of their financial life and, and focus on building up some, some, uh, some tailwind on, uh, on how they're moving money and their cash flow uh, long-term. Fantastic. Richard Canfield, we're grateful for your time, your knowledge. Uh, thank you so much to our listeners. Um, you will be able to uh, access not only Richard's, uh, podcast, uh, the interview on our website at lifesuccesslegacy.com, but our other podcasts as well. We have some where we're just talking about the nuts and bolts of what is infinite banking concept. And then we have lots of interviews with clients, other IBC coaches, et cetera. So there's a little something there for everyone. 
if you have not read Nelson Nash's book, and I always say this, <laughs> our listeners are probably tired of hearing me say it. If you have not read Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, you're missing out. It's a phenomenal read. Um, it can be challenging at times because it is going against how we've been taught to think about money. There's a great amount of wisdom in that book. Uh, you cannot capture everything that is in that book with one read. We have that book along with the case for IBC available on our website. That is www.lifesuccesslegacy.com. Again, that is www.lifesuccesslegacy.com. You can order a copy for yourself uh, at our website. Thank you, listeners. We appreciate it, and we look forward to our next podcast. Richard Canfield, thank you so much for the time. We are grateful to you, my friend. Pleasure being here, guys. Thank you so much for this and for what you do. And uh, just thank the world of you guys as well and, and everything that you're doing and how you're spreading the message and you're honoring Nelson's legacy. Thank you so much and keep up the good work. Absolutely. Take care.